Um, this morning we're still on Rahab, the story of Rahab. Now, when I originally sat down to study and to possibly preach on Rahab a number of weeks ago, I only thought it was going to be one message. It's a great salvation story, how through the scarlet thread she was saved, a story that can liken to the blood of Jesus in our, our lives as believers. But here we are, week three. So you kind of can milk it, and, uh, but please, out with here, then I go telling people that I read their Bibles that Kevin spent an awful lot of time with Rahab, a prostitute. That could be career-ending, okay? So this is a Bible study. We're taking out our life. And if you turn with me to Joshua chapter 2, I want to focus in on this morning is the work of the blood of Jesus in our life. And before we go for here, if we get a sense of it, the blood of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus, there's an our life to set us free and to bring us into newness and my job is done. If you hadn't been here the last few weeks, we spoke about God's scouting mission in your life that He's already went before you. And if you remember, God's already been, He's already seen, and He reigns supreme. Rahab was in Jericho. God was going to judge Jericho and take Rahab out. Not because Rahab was better than anybody else, but Rahab had faith. She hid the spies, and the sign that she would be saved, her and her family, was there got to be a scarlet, a bright red rope. And when the spies would come, when the nation of Israel would come, when the Jewish people would come, see the scarlet rope, everybody within Rahab's house would be saved. It's a story of two things. I'm going to lay a foundation here, a biblical foundation, a good sound doctrine. Us as the church of the living God shouldn't just be coming here for fluffy messages to make us feel a bit better about ourselves. There should be something within you to come here, an expectation of good sound doctrine. Fit is the theme of God, fit is his character, how do we relate it to us, fit is consistent. I want to relate, relate a sound doctrine to us. God's judgment and his mercy gone hand in hand through the hill of the Bible. You will not understand Rahab fully in her story if you didn't understand two things, God's judgment, but also God's mercy. God cannot, because He's a just and fair God, a just and fair judge, He cannot let go, let sin go unpunished. But yet, He's a merciful God. He loves his people, and he wants us to be set free. Right at the very start, Adam sinned. He got judged. God told him, didn't I eat for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that which he eventually did? God says, Dad, eat, there'll be some consequences. You will die. I bet you will die. God then comes and judges Adam. Adam had clothed himself with leaves, trying to do a patchwork job or I'll be okay, I'll work a suit myself, he covered his own nakedness. God came in judgment and says, okay, you've fallen. He made man in his image and Adam's descendants would be made in 
Adam's image. But yet God in his mercy clothed Adam. He says, you don't need to worry about leaves. And it says a beautiful scripture that God clothed Adam, clothed Eve, because he loves him. And he's a merciful God. During the time of Noah, it says that God was sorry that he'd made humanity because they were just coming against him in every shape or form. They were evil beyond imagination. They invented wise or doing evil. God says he was sorry that he'd made humanity, and God's judgment could not let sin go unpunished. And he says, I'm going to wipe them out. We are flood. Yet God's mercy found a man called Noah, a righteous man. And he says to Noah, judgment's coming. You can build a boat. We populate the earth. God's judgment, the flood. God's mercy. Come on, God, Noah. Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment, they were wicked beyond belief. God was going to wipe them off for the face of the planet. God's judgment. Yet, God's mercy was seen in Lot's and his wife's family, if they didn't look back, which his wife did. God's judgment, I can't let us go unpunished, but I'm going to show my mercy and grace to Lot and his family. Consistent all through the world, God was see at the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied within Jesus. Ah, the son of the whole world, the Lamb of God that was slain, was put upon Jesus, an act of judgment of fairness that sin had to go punished. There was a price that we couldn't pay. Yet Jesus took up the wrath of God, took up the justice of God. And yet it's still the most merciful, most wonderful, most loving act that God could do to our humanity. God's a God of justice. He's a God of judgment we'll read through in Revelations, the judgment seat of Christ. In this side of eternity, I think people get a while with so much stuff, not every thief is in prison. But yet there'll be a day of judgment and justice, and at that moment we will realize, hallelujah, fully the wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus, the great escape, the Kevin should have paid for his own sin, but yet there was a God-man called Jesus says, I'm going to take it off for him. Ah, the stripes. Ah, the pain. Ah, the bloodshed. Eighteen for me, and eighteen for you, and eighteen for our humanity. God's judgment, yet God's mercy. So if it is thus good to do We Rahab's story, because it's a story of God's judgment upon a people In Jericho. And it's easy to skip through us and just say, I wish this didn't happen. But it says the son of the Canaanites had reached its full. And God was ready to move. Just as he released Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt, God judged the Egyptians for their false God worship. Yet he was merciful to the Jews and took them out 
We have mighty hand through signs, wonders, and miracles so that even the Egyptians could see this God, He reigns supreme. God is just and His mercy at the exact same time. And then they come to the precipice of the promised land. There's a place called Jericho. It's what I come under God's judgment, and God is what I take His people into the land flowing with milk and honey. Yet there's a people there that didn't want God, didn't care for God, didn't want the laws of Moses. And so God was what I judge Jericho, flatten it to the ground. God's judgment, God's justice. Yet there was a woman called Rahab, had heard about this supreme God and says, I need flip sides. And she prayed this wonderful prayer of salvation at the spies and says, look, when you come back and you're God of judgment, so what I flatten this to the ground, remember me, remember my family. I want to be saved. I want a great escape. Our old life is going to be demolished. Our old customers are going to be flattened. Everything she previously known, the place she went to school, our false idols gone. And she prayed a prayer of salvation. Will your supreme God remember me when you come back? And then there was a sign. There was a sign. The scarlet cord, as we read in verse Chapter 2, verse 14. Sorry, I did such a long introduction. My computer goes to sleep on me. Are you still working, are you? No, 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 no. Some of <laughs> Right, here we go. And just think of the Savior's blood. If you remind us in the next few weeks, He saved you from jail. And by some preaching fluke, he saved you for hell. I was going to speak about him birth today, but it's too much, I think. But Jesus came with a message to set the captives free. I want us to think of the power of the blood of Jesus in your life as a believer. Listen to this, for verse 14. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days for the men searching for, for you. When they returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath like you will be saved We've noted, you're a woman of faith. You're not going to be saved because of your behavior. You're a woman of faith. When we come into the land, you must, to go our own personal Passover, you must leave the scarlet robe hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must, must, must. There's no plan B, there's no plan C. They must be here inside the house. 
If they go out into the street and are killed, that's not our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house with a scarlet rope, the bright red rope, that's on us. We will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. I accept your terms. The distinguishing factor. So go around personal Passover. You're familiar with Passover. That is, God was going to set the Jewish people free for the hand of Pharaoh through signs, wonders, and miracles, that to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood on the lintels, that the angel of death would come and see the blood, and every house that had the blood, the angel of death would pass over, execute judgment on the Egyptians while setting, setting his people free. Now we've got Rahab, the distinguishing factor, a bright red rope that had saved, incidentally, the spies. He says, this red rope that saved us, that lowered us down to escape from this place, that same rope, when we come back, if we see this rope, the great escape is saved. The distinguishing factor in our life, the blood of Jesus, the scarlet rope, the Passover blood of the Lamb that saves us from God's judgment and sets us free, and sets us free for our eternity. But I want us, before we go on about God saving us through trials, I want us to speak about our lives as believers. Because God judges something in our lives and has to set us free for, for something. When Jesus came and says, I've set the captives free, what does he mean? What does it mean for the Christian to be set free? Have you heard of these words? Sinful nature? Come on, Christian. Have you heard of sinful nature within a person? That each one of us, before we knew God, was powerless to obey Him. God seen us as dead in trespasses and sin, incapable of following His good ways and His good book. And God calls it the sinful nature. The part of you that just rebels against God. The part of humanity Jesus says the most important law was this. This might seem like I'm swimming deep here. There's good purpose for us. The, light, the Christ life is about discovery about God. For He is in this world pertaining to you, salvation. It's also about finding out for you are. It's in my makeup. How come there's a part of me? I want to, if I want to obey God, Entirely. Just deep what he says. It sounds so simple. But yeah, we've got the sinful nature. Old preachers used to cut the Adamic nature. That through Adam we became sinful. 
we're both. That if God says one thing, there's something within us that wants to do complete opposite. God's greatest law that Jesus mentioned is to worship your God. Love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple, isn't it? But as God declared, love me, your sinful nature declared, I want to do one thing but worship you. I want to go against you. I want to worship other things in this world. I want to worship false idols, billy idols, and pop idols. I want to carve out for myself a life without God. God says, love your sinful nature. It says, disagree, hate, backbite. You, you still with me? It, just, it goes against God. God says, build each other up. Sinful nature within humanity says, gossip and tear each other down. Okay? God says, be generous with your finances. Give to the poor. Give to the local fellowships. Give to missionaries. Your sinful nature says, no. We went through a coronation. Your sinful nature says, no, you are the king. I am the king of my throne. I'm going to keep it uh, to myself and make sure I'm well looked after first. God, give. Don't worry about a thing. Sinful nature, materialistic, boastful, lustful, sinful. You with me? God's judgment. What does God judge in your life? If we are saying that there's a Jericho within me, there's a power within me that God is against because it is against God, it's unredeemable. We need to care in this, if you realize this even as a new believer, this shouldn't be learned at the end of Christian discipleship and theology. Oh, that's where I'm gone. If you learn this for the very start, wonderful truth in Galatians, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires through His blood. The scarlet thread for every believer, the Rahab moment to be saved, that God would judge her all life, our all passions. And God would judge in me my, the power of sinful nature that rebels against Him so I could be made new. And the old gospel truth said the old has gone. The power of sin is broken in your life. Now you just sit in Jericho, but to be saved, to be brought through. And we need to recognize again, church, the power of the blood of Jesus.
Come on. It's not a new mythology, methodology the church needs to conjure up. It's a recognition of the sufficiency or the blood of Jesus that cuts away the chains that you don't have to be a habitual sinner. That doesn't have to be the dominant factor in your life because of the blood. We get an opportunity that our sinful nature, the power, we're speaking about power, not the ability to sin, we're speaking about the overreaching power of sin in your life to be broken. So you don't have to be greedy because of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to be bound by sinful habits because of the blood of Jesus. We can love because of the blood of Jesus. He takes us into newness or life. We don't have to be bound by slander. We don't have to be the two biggest gossip because of the blood of Jesus. He breaks the chains. You still with me? It's foundational Christian doctrine that Jesus came to set you free. You need to realize that you've been set free fair, or it just sounds nice. He set you free for jail. He set you free for hell. You're in jail. You're in jail that you couldn't have brought out and you needed somebody else to turn that key and to say, be free. You need a man. You needed somebody stronger than you. And God sent himself, the God-man, Jesus Christ, more powerful than you could ever imagine, trampling Satan underfoot, the only one that could set you free through the power of sin. Do you see the power of sin in humanity? Watch the news. They might as well just open up and say, I wonder how well we're sinning today. They might as well. This is how we good we are at sinning. We're dropping bombs on each other. There is corruption at every level, it seems to be. That's how well we're sinning today. There's greed. There's lying. Just look our own. There is the hope of humanity. The blood of Jesus. Wonder working power of Jesus. It sets people free. You as an individual can be free. Us as a church can be free. The scarlet rope, the sign, the judgment would pass and she'd be brought into newness. And then the Christian. Why would you not want to be a Christian? Sometimes we try and tell people, please become a Christian. Jesus was amazing. Why would you not? He's a supreme God. With a sinful nature, we're under judgment. Are you wanting to face a holy God saying, I did all right in life, please let man? We need another. We need an interceder. We need somebody that stood in the gap and said, Ah, for them. Right, back to my notes. Do you see? Have I convinced you that? There was a bit of you that just rebelled against God and God judged that bit through the cross. But you might say, hold on a minute. 
you're saying that and set free for the power of sin. Yet some of you would say, but I still have the capability, the capacity to sin. I still find myself in this, sometimes a cycle of sin. But there's a great difference between having no option but to come under the power of sin. Then Jesus setting you free and giving you power. Never be sinless, but to break the power of sin in your life so that people can say, I used to be bitter, and now I'm forgiven. You can still choose to be bitter. I used to be an addict. I used to abuse my own body. But now I've been set free. I can still choose to go back or live under the power of the Holy Spirit. I never ever the only time once I go back. I used to be bound by gossip. I used to just use my mouth to tell lies and to bring myself up. Now the dark of the day. I knew Jesus has set me free. By that power, you can still do that. But Jesus has set you free. I want us to look at the end of Romans 7, the start of Romans 8, to explain us. Are you still with me? Nod your head. Hopefully I'm explaining this. Here's the deal. There's two powers at work. Power of sin and the power of God. Can I fly? Do you think I can fly? Does anybody in here think I can fly? No. Why not? Because I'm too far. <laughs> That's about the answer I expected out here. Now, I might say to you, I believe I can fly. I could maybe sing the chorus to you. I believe I can fly. But can I fly is a question. I could convince you that by faith I can fly and I can jump off here and I can flap my arms as hard as I can. Can I fly? Why not? Because No feathers. There's a lot of work. You know what a lot of work is? Gravity. Inescapable. I could jump off fast. I can convince us I could fly. I can even say that I did it last night in my house for nobody seen that. And with all the well and good intention of this world, I could jump off here and you can. There's no flying going to happen. I never got to come up in here on a given morning and see me <laughs> sitting on the beams looking at all the peasants coming in. Because <laughs> there's a lot of work, a lot of gravity. I can't escape it. I wish it were not so, and I wish I could fly. Yet, I could look out in my garden, and there's a lesser than me little bird. Just a little birdie. It's a little bird. A little body. A little sparrow legs. Can a bird fly? Well, 
how can a bird fly and I can't fly? I'm made in God's image. It's a bird. A bird can fly because there's another law at work in the bird. The law. I'm going to assume like Einstein. Or aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics, and I've got an equation for this, but it's a fact. If you've got a wingspan big enough and long enough, it doesn't matter how much weight you're carrying, you can fly. The sparrow's also got two legs, it means it can walk. But you look at the sparrow, you can see it jumping from tree to tree. Why the will in the world? I can't do that. You can, this is true. Has somebody flown in an aeroplane? Yes. Well, you trust every time you go in an aeroplane that the law of aerodynamics and the thrusters and the fuel injectors and the diesel or whatever the power that things we and the guy driving it has got to put his foot down and it will it'll overpower the law of gravity. And if it were not so, you'd be quicker jumping in your car. In the believer's life, the law, sin and death, sinful nature, binds everyone of us. Yet God wants us the greater law, the law of the Spirit. If Luke would put on Romans chapter 7, But I read for verse 14, right? It's a great letter Paul writes. It's about the sin of the world, and then he comes in on the believer. He speaks about the law being good. God's holy law was good. We're the problem. We've got a sinful nature. It's like when you leave a room, before you leave a room, you tell a kid to one thing in the room apart from it, flicking one switch or opening one drawer, they're going to go for that as soon as you leave. Or something within us that will just go against whatever we're being told, okay? So the trouble is not with the law. It's not if it God says there's a trouble here. For it is spiritual and good. That's a great gospel message for you. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. Moving on. I don't really understand myself. This is Jericho life. This is a life that Paul is explaining as just being guided by the sinful nature. I don't really understand myself. And every addict that's ever been an addict will always relate to this verse. For I want to do what is right. I want to get clean. I want to be a better person. I love people as God wants me to love. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Next verse. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, that's conviction, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Next verse. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it, the sinful nature. Next verse. And I know that nothing good lives in me. I cannot break my cell out of prison. I cannot open up the prison doors and set 
me free, for there's nothing good in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Next verse. Speaking about a life of powerlessness. Are you with me? He's explaining how powerless we are to live God's life as God wants. I want to do what is good. I want to be a keen Christian. I want to save the world for Jesus. I want to be a missionary. I want to preach the gospel. I want to obey God. But I don't. <laughs> I don't want to do what is wrong. It's not that I want to do it. I just do it anyway. Somebody relate to that? So on a given moment of time, sometimes okay. Right, there's a few honest people in here. Next thing. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. There's a bama. A bama that just goes against God. If God was to say black, I would say white. Next thing. I have discovered this principle of life. Sometimes your greatest moment of deliverance was you realizing how useless you really are. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. Next verse. I love God's law with all my heart. That's not the problem. He says, I do see that God's law is good. It's holy. I'm the problem. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. There's a war going on. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. There's a, I'm, I'm in chains here moment. I'm enslaved. Oh, what a miserable person I am if anybody ever reached that point in their Christian life. They're miserable because they're seeing themselves as powerless. They agree that the Christian way is good, yet they think, I can't do this on my own. Ooh, that's the clincher. It's not what will free you, it's who. The hell of humanity is looking for answers in what? Give us the top five tips for being free. The new book, the new conference title, church would do well to know this. Seeing people set free, which is you and which is me, is not found in a what or a strategy or a discipleship course unless it answers the question, who? Me as a pastor is not sit down with somebody that is bound and giving five tips to give you a sin. It's to sit down and show you the who. Discipleship is about the revelation or the who. Ask the right question, you'll get the right answer. Google's amazing and it opened up a hell new world of information. Fuckings, the importance of asking the right question. And sometimes you just ask the wrong question, you keep getting the wrong answer. Until you ask the right question. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I need a who. Next verse. Thank God. Hallelujah. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law because of my sinful nature. I am a slave to sin. He says, I have an answer for this miserable life that gets enslaved by sin. There is someone who can break the chains of slavery. He's not a what. He's a who. Praise be to God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, the mighty one. We've got to go to chapter 8. We've got to go through this quickly. Are you still with me? Because this is good news. 
for people that stuck in chapter 7. If somebody's drowning, do you care that the best moment to save somebody that's drowning for a lifeguard is when they give up? Because if they're still flapping the boot and a lifeguard jumps in, there's a danger that two goes down instead of one. A good lifeguard will wait till they give up and then they're carrying a dead weight back to shore. The Apostle Paul comes to a point of there's nothing I can do about here, I'm drowning. I give up. God waits for the moment that you give up and then he comes in with Romans chapter 8. They think there might have been a space of time between Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 before the Apostle Paul works out some things. What did I say? The law of gravity, the law of sin, keeps us walking in this sinful nature. We need another law, like aerodynamics. We've got a fire through us, and then you've got to realize what law is, and then we're close. You still wee man, you're thinking about your dinner. Okay, right, we'll never learn. So now there is no, co- I want to show you the new way. For every foundational Christian, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power, we need power, don't we? We need a greater power. The power of the life-given Spirit, hallelujah, freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Next verse. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. God did it. God was going to save Rahab. She wasn't going to save herself. God was going to do it through the scarlet rope. God. He's going to give us a power to save us. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. This is the gospel. And in that body, God declared an end. He declared an end. It is finished. It is over. To sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He broke the chains. He judged the sinful nature in you. Next verse. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied, satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Every new Christian hear us. The sinful nature, chains are broken. You have no obligation to go back there. Concern yourself with this. Fill yourself and concentrate yourself on things being led by the Holy Spirit, things that please God. It's to deal with your thoughts that determine your actions. If you still think about you as the useless slave to sin that's always gone too far, you'll probably go back there. The Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, even when God hid them in the wilderness because their history looked far better than their present time, even though in the present time they hid God. There's a tendency to look back. But if you live to please the Holy Spirit, you'll never be bound by sin again. Moving on. Next verse. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Next verse. 
The sinful nature was always hostile towards God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. Next verse. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. It doesn't matter how good people are, the Hinagoa end them without Jesus to please God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. All have gone astray. Next verse. But you, but you, but you. And you need to say, but me. You are not controlled by for God has judged the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Next verse. Christ, this is a new life. God didn't save Rahab to go back to Jericho. That was cursed. This is a new life. The chain breaker breaking chains of the sinful nature, the dominant force. You have Christ and you through His Spirit. What a wonderful God we serve. That we have the power, we can fly like a bird. Should we choose to focus on things that please God? We could go and we can be free the sin that so easily entangles and there's a stain in humanity that God would put Christ, the greater force in us greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world we needed a power, we needed a force and Jesus says I give you myself everything that you need to never go back next verse the spirit of God who is Jesus from the dead lives in you just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit I'm almost finished do you understand what I'm speaking about that there's a nature a Jericho within me Val Kevin the me that couldn't please God on my own. I could have read this book from back to front, could have told you the Greek terms and Hebrew terms, but if I had no Christ within me, I would have been powerless to live for God, yet through faith, the blood of Jesus, the scarlet rope, the Passover, the God in Christ judged the sinful nature so that we can choose or allow that side of us to be crucified. The power of the cross, the chain breaker, the sinful nature, power breaker, so that we could live in the power of the Spirit through faith in Christ Jesus. My prayer for us as a church that the blood of Jesus would be applied to our lives And you'll never go back to the life that never knew God. That lifestyle is cursed. 
I'll end with this verse. You've been very good at listening. I pray through the Spirit that the seeds would produce a harvest of life because Rahab would be saved. God didn't leave her in a vacuum of the wilderness. God saved him. Verse 25 of chapter 6 of Joshua. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She lives among her to, to this day. She got a new life amongst God's people. She got set free from Jericho jail. She didn't never have to go back. God put her in a family of faith to worship Yahweh, to learn His ways. God would be her God. She would see the miracles. She would see the signs. She would see the wonders. Never to go back. At this time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. Joshua says this, this ground that God is going to flatten, it's cursed. Nobody ever rebuild here again. Go. Even if Rahab went back and thought, I want to go back to Jericho for my life was, if she's trying to rebuild on there, it's cursed. And so it is with our lives. The power of sin is broken. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't need to live as a slave to sin and live a life that God hates. Believe in Him. The power of the blood sets us free for our life. And now we've got a new life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Resurrection power to set you free for the law of sin and death and heartache and a life that never knew God and never wanted God. Now we can know and worship and pray and praise Him. Receive not just receive his peace, but he would become your peace. He'd become your strength. He'd become your refuge. He would become your life, the new life in Christ. And then I go back to for God is cursed. Then I go back to for God has set you free for. It will not be the same. It cannot be the same because you have the power of Almighty God now within you. I'll just go back to all you could give me all the money in the world, set me in a plane to Las Vegas, here we can do it, get smashed up, defeat the sinful nature dictates. It wouldn't have just be a hangover I would struggle with when I came back. Because it would stay the same. I've got the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I now know God. I came for is to hear Him, the divine presence upon my life. God's cursed it, it's gone. Never to go back. So, church, let's embrace a new life. I never go back for God is cursed. And I try and redeem and rede oh, it wasn't that bad. It was. It was that bad and even more. Let's pray for a church, a people that be set free for the sinful life by the precious blood of Jesus through faith. Their method through the blood and cleanse through the word, the blood of Jesus. Do you want to be set free?
You can be set free through the blood. Instantly set free for the sinful nature through the blood. If that's not so, I'm a liar and this Bible's not true. But the Bible is true. That he has set us free for godless living. Imagine a church that is set free for the power of sin. Hallelujah. Embracing new life. Embracing the spirit life. Embracing Christ in us. The hope of the nations. The hope of glory. That's fits an offer. What a wonderful life. What a wonderful redemption. How's your need of mind before you leave? He set you free for jail. He set you free. The power of the Most High God, resurrection spirit, raises you above and breaks that chains that bound us. That's why Jesus says with confidence, I came to set the captives free. I tell you, the Pentecostal church, I could have preached a message really easily how God sets us free for troubles and he set Rahab free for troubles and I could give you that set you free for sickness and depression and set you free for all these things that we don't want to live. We are the miracles God can do. But I'll tell you something. Sometimes the biggest problem in my life is me. And unless I can, that God has dealt with me. He'll set me free for troubles. He'll set me free for us and set me free for the next thing. But I'll never really understand what it is to be free. The very start, it says, this is a foundational church Christian message that Christ would set you free. It's maybe your first morning in here and you're like, whoosh, this is heavy going. But if you receive us, that Christ came to set you free. And you came, the mess you're marking in your life, maybe more than I do, but he came to set you free for ah, to live a new life in Christ. And it says, Rahab. Never ever went back. She was really are the days of our life. God wrote her a new story. Let's pray. Let's just bow our heads. I'm just going to pray a general prayer, okay? It's the blood of Jesus. It's a scarlet thread. The spy says, you see this rope that saved us? It's the same rope. It's going to save you. If we see it, you're saved. The blood of Jesus saves the Jew and the Gentile. It's the same blood. It saves the youngest, them doing it community kids. The blood of Jesus saves them. It saves all the steam here. It's the blood of Jesus that saves whether they are a good upbringing we're an indifferent upbringing. It's the same blood of Jesus that saves the rich and the poor. We all have a common denominator, sinful nature, Christ. He is the one that sets us free. And I'm going to pray for each one in here that the work of the blood would be seen in our lives. And there will be a power in the blood to set you free. And maybe you are set free. But there's been times in my life that I have yet to, again, I get stuck in Romans 7 and I need to recognize Romans 8. There's been times in my life since becoming a Christian that I say, God, 
Jesus, your blood is sufficient. And you are the chain breaker. And I'm a man in need of forgiveness. And I know that your blood is sufficient to forgive for them that would ask, forgive my Jesus. And I know it's a done deal. He comes to forgive. And Jesus, I pray for us as a fellowship, as a people that have came to hear your word. I thank you for the eternal example of Rahab and others that had faith. A means of salvation. But God, but we wouldn't have to rush out to shops to buy reed rope. We wouldn't have to cull a spotless lamb and spread blood and lintels. But we would receive the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of Jesus, the pure, spotless, powerful blood of Jesus. We declare in this place an end to the slavery of sin. In Jesus' name, break the chains of addictive behavior that God hates and enslaves his people in Jesus' name. God, we declare that the blood of Jesus would melt even the most bitterness of hearts. And you would turn them into a forgiven heart, a heart that would obey Jesus and love his people in Jesus' name. And God, that the blood of Jesus would break down materialism Greed and self-interest in our lives, in Jesus' name. And the church of Jesus would be made known for to be love, and not just flesh love, God love, a steadfast love, that we would be made known for forgiveness, not just a fleshly forgiveness, but a supernatural forgiveness, that we would be able to forgive even what seems unforgivable in our lives, that we would be made known is to be generous people that would care for others, now the flesh, but because we've got a divine God, and He loves people, and He's a generous God, and God, that even now, resurrection life would flood through us, uh, and dwell in presence, your spirit, that be led nearby something that is hostile to God, but would be led by the spirit that pleases you in every shape and every form. I thank you just the right time you sent Jesus to save us. Was drowning sinners and we gave up. And then God, his mighty hands, came in and rescued us. And now we are seated in heavenly places for he is that. What a heavenly mystery. A heavenly mystery. He had divine truth to be proclaimed. We love you, Jesus. Set the church on fire with the gospel message. With the blood. With the word. With the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blesses. We've got to take up our offerings. Maybe just in that moment, people have just turned generous. Hallelujah. And then when that green bag goes, you're like, ah, oh, I came in here. I went, I got to get a penny. No, here's my car keys. Here's my house. I'm only joking. <laughs> uh, God's good, Amen. There's a lot of fluff going about in the Christian world. A lot of nice sounding things. There's nothing like coming ruin. God's greatest gift to humanity was his son in the book. And preaching about the blood of Jesus.
the sufficient blood. You, you cannot go into error if you point to the blood. I'm telling you, there's a lot of fluff going about Christendom. You cannot go in error when you preach Jesus, the cross, the blood. And I believe God is going to reignite the wonderful doctrinal truth that sometimes we've let slip and we go, I want the left and we go, I want the right. If it's a new thing God's doing, let's jump on that web. Let's seek Him in that conference and get a word in season. But the gospel truth will remain the gospel truth. That God could take a fallen sinner and through the blood of Jesus transform my life, never to go back to, through the power of the cross, judged to be set free. Let's be like new Rahabs. The Rahabs are the side of faith. I wonder how she felt when she's seen her history tumble and our customers tumble, you get my, I'll never go back. Maybe at times, you know, if you went back, that's gone. But just to say that I'm not going back, God's cursed it. And now we set man a new life, a new life in Christ. Let's worship him as we take up our tithes and offerings.